everyone. I'm Mary Jane Minkin, and I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, and I have the privilege of taking care of a lot of wonderful women. Uh, I also have the privilege of serving as a clinical professor in the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences. And we're here today to talk about diagnosis of sexual concerns in women with cancer and complex GYN issues. And both of those people are folks you take care of, types of people you take care of, and all of them may have some sexual concerns. So I'm hoping to help to uh, discuss that and have everybody become expert in the topic of diagnostics and therapies. Okay. First, let's talk about diagnosis. Next talk, we'll talk about therapy. So we're going to divide this into two separate talks. Uh, ISHWISH is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. And they convened a panel a couple of years ago to develop a process of care for the identification of sexual concerns and problems in women. And these clinical practice guidelines are published in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings. And you have here the reference. Um, it's May 2019, uh, 94.5. And you got the reference right here. Um, and we're going to get you the slides on this. I was the gynecologist on that panel. They had a bunch of internal medicine people, family practice, uh, sexual therapy experts, et cetera. Um, and what we were doing was discussing competencies in female sexual dysfunction for clinicians who are not sexual medicine specialists, folks like me and you, um, and serve as caregivers of women. And that will include most of our viewers. But remember that your patients, whether they have cancer or complex GYN issues, may need some extra special care, which you can give. So we're going to be talking about how you're going to be doing this. Okay. What type of problems do we see when we're talking about sexual issues? Well, two things. There are significant problems that many women have about desire, arousal, orgasm, affecting about more than 12% of women across the lifespan. When, this be, when these problems are distressing to the patient, that's when it becomes a real problem. So technically, these issues are distressing problems related to desire, arousal, orgasm, which does affect about 12% of women across the lifespan. But again, you are all taking care of patients with, who are higher risk group. They may have more problems. And that's why you all need to become experts in this. The major common that we see, major problem that we see, which is the most common um, and causes the most distress to women is low desire, which is also among the trickiest to treat, but we're going to talk about that. However, sexual pain, arousal, and orgasm issues are also quite prevalent. So there are some expectations of universal screening for sexual concerns for everybody. There is abundant data in the literature that shows that patients want the opportunity to discuss sexual health concerns with their providers. But there's also abundant data in the literature that shows that patients in general prefer the clinician, that's us, to bring up the topic with them. They want to talk about it, but they'd like us to be the initiators of the discussion. And there is pretty much in the literature universal recommendations for patient-centered style, showing that we have interest, empathy, and a non-judgmental attitude. And again, what we're going to be talking about takes some time, but it's really going to be very valuable for your patient's well-being. So we'll work on that here. One of the easiest ways to start the conversation, and primary care folks are very much into this, is a sort of a ubiquity statement, okay? Many women who have reached menopause or are diagnosed with cancer or whatever, whatever problem you're dealing with with this particular patient, like you, have concerns about sexual activity. Do you? And a positive response, yeah, I've got some issues along those lines should be followed by an open-ended invitation. Please tell me about it. Now, again, you're already sitting there saying, oh my goodness, this is going to take a lot of time and it's going to take some time, but it's going to be well worth it for the patient's uh, care and ultimate uh, well-being. And you can then go on and ask in the context of relationships. 
For example, you can say, how are things going with your partner or spouse? That's an additional alternative way to discuss things. You can follow that by, how are you and your partner doing in terms of your sexual relationship? If she is in a relationship, you may bring up the question, what sexual concerns do you have? And one other thing we need to establish for our patients is have your partners included men, women, or both? And these are questions, open-ended questions to ask. If the patient is not in a relationship, perhaps she might like to, but she's been scared of dealing with the cancer or other complex problems she's been dealing with. Do you have sexual concerns that you would like to discuss or that have contributed to the lack of sexual behavior? And this opens the door to her being able to talk more about these issues, which are really bothering her. But again, let's get back to the issue. Patients really want the providers. That's us to be talking about it. Now, we will talk about some education for our patients to do with us, and we'll get to that sort of towards the end. Um, one of the models that uh, people talk about a lot in this context is a four-step model. And step one, and again, this is all in the paper in Mayo Clinic Proceedings. Um, step one is to elicit the patient's story, okay? Step two, you want to name and sometimes reframe attention to the sexual concern or problem. Step three, folks talk about empathic witnessing, which is really part of therapy when you start going to that. And step four, referral or assessment and treatment. In other words, are we going to refer this patient for, you know, to our colleagues for further help or can we initiate the therapy here? So how do we go about doing this? Okay, so let's talk more about the different steps here. Step one, eliciting the story. Let her give us some information. Ask her for a narrative description of the problem and its effect on her life. Okay, and Doing this, she will help her discover and help her describe her distress, okay? And again, doing this in a patient-centered style is what most folks advocate. Open-ended questions, yes, they're going to take longer, but they're worth it for her well-being. And it does help the interviewer synthesize this in a biopsychosocial view of the patient's problem. And again, sometimes it's not native for folks like us to be doing this, but it will prove to be helpful. And then when you do this elicitation of the story, it's sort of what people call an ask, tell, ask, meaning that when you ask, you will find out what the patient knows, which is correct. And oftentimes you'll find the patient thinks she knows something, which is unfortunately mistaken. The tell is for us to basically help to convalidate the correct understanding, to construct it correctly, correct any mistaken beliefs, which sometimes is difficult to do, and to add the next piece of correct information so that she can process it. And then at the end, the getting bit to the ask, the tell, and then the ask again, is did the information that you, that we have provided, have the intended effect? So that's sort of the ask, tell, ask approach, which many interviewers have found to be quite effective in uh, many of these structured issues here. Then the next thing we talk about is naming or reframing attention to the sexual concern, if we're going to talk about that. And again, one of the things that I'm going to emphasize over and over is validation, naming and validating the importance of the sexual problem. And one of the phrases, and again, feel free to use any of these phrases. These are sort of tried and true phrases, which can be very helpful in this sort of situation and interviewing. Um, it seems to me that in addition to your whatever initial complaint is that she had, what you've just told me is about whatever your sexual concern is just as painful, important, and worthy of attention. And again, it comes back to validation, validation. That's what we're doing. And that's part of the therapy. Then you can get you some help. Okay. The next thing that we talk about is empathic witnessing. And again, just listening to a patient is empathy. That's an empathic act and that we can basically help the patient 
through listening and trying to understand what she's going through. And many, again, much literature have been devoted to this. This is powerful and it's healing. And again, the effect is amplified when you, when the clinician reflects understanding of the patient's life and her efforts in words. What is she talking about? Oh yeah, you know, this is important. Let's talk about it. And it really is part of the beginning of the therapy. And statements, for example, like, I am impressed with how committed you are to addressing the sexual problem and its effect on your relationship, your life, statements like that, despite how difficult that is. Or you can ask, you know, are, are the beginning to take steps that are determined to try and solve this problem, that you're really going about doing this in a positive way. And that shows that you're paying attention, you're listening, and you're agreeing with her and saying, yeah, this is important. We're validating what she's talking about is important to us as well as to her. Okay. And at that point, after you've gone through these initial steps, then you can basically help decide, you know, with her, and again, shared decision-making comes into everything, um, referral versus you assessing the patient and treating the patient. And it really is okay to refer. It doesn't mean you're not interested. And you want to make sure that the patient does not feel that it's a rejection. One thing that you can say, and again, feel free to use any of these phrases, like the dot phrases we use with the computers, but I consider sexual health to be important to your overall health and quality of life. And I want you to get the best possible treatment. I have a colleague who specializes in treating women's sexual problems. Okay. And by saying that, that makes it valid. You're sending to an expert who deals with these issues. You may not be the expert. So you have a friend or colleague who is. So validating the idea that the problem may need special expertise is again, consistent with you believing that her problem is important and that it's worthy of attention. Again, it's validating her problem and validating what she's planning on doing about it and how you're going to help her that way. Now, if you say, no, I think I can treat this. I think I can help. You know, okay. And many, many of us can do a lot more than we think we can initially. Um, is there a lot of scales and questioners that are, that are available? And when I got into this area of OBGYN, I was really amazed at how many <laughs> questionnaires and scales there were. Um, you can put these out in a waiting room. You can print these up, keep them in a waiting room. Um, and that way patients will know that you believe that sexual health is important and it's appropriate to discuss it. So that you really want her to discuss these issues. And that's part of her well-being and getting her through her cancer or complex GYN problem, whatever. And so several screeners are out there. They're all validated. Uh, decreased sexual desire screener, Anita Clayton's uh, project uh, published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine. Um, there's another one, um, and this is with DeRogatis. It's Rust and DeRogatis, which is a brief, one of the big people in the sexual health, a brief profile of female sexual dysfunction. And uh, this is from the GYN endocrine folks. Again, validated scale. Um, the brief screener for men and women, uh, which is Hatsa Crystal, who's one of the big names in this business. Um, and this can be used for men as well as for women. And you know, many of your women are gonna have male partners and this may be helpful in a relationship issue. And again, sexual medicine, and you'll have all this information to you know, get up these scales if you'd like to. The FSFI is probably the one you're most familiar with. Female Sexual Function Index, again, uh, Rosa and a bunch of people in uh, uh, Journal of marital therapy. This is about 20 some years old. Uh, very, very well tested in the literature, very valid, used in a lot of studies. And for example, if you want to conduct some research, um, the FSFI different scales can be used. You can do initial screenings. You can do follow-up screenings. Not a bad idea to have them and keep them. 
you know, and you can go back and maybe do a project out of it. Um, so if you want to do a follow-up study. Um, so these are all questionnaires that are validated and quite reasonable. You may want to look at the different ones to see which ones you might want to use. And again, they can be used to follow progress. They've been validated um, or they can check the uh, effects of an intervention. You know, you may be doing some talk therapy and we may be doing some uh, medical interventions. And we'll talk about that in our next talk. And you can say, okay, this is how my, you know, the FSFI scale of this domain is going up. This one's not going up. Really can be very helpful in the literature as well. And it will be helpful to demonstrate the patient's progress to her as well. Uh, and again, probably the FSFI and the Hatsa Christu are among the most popular, but again, all of them are valid and take a look and see which ones you might want to use. Okay. So how do we get some further details on our sexual history? What are the domains we're looking at? What are the questions we need to ask? So what you really want to do is to, to break it down into several areas. You want to assess current sexual function for each sexual response domain. You want to talk about desire. You want to talk about arousal. You want to talk about orgasm. Each of the therapies may be different, or will be different, um, and have a different level of distress, again, which is the bottom line. I hate to come back into this. You know, people may have a problem, but if it's not distressing them, it's not a problem. But if it's bothersome, we got to help fix it. We want to assess, is she having sexual pain? You want to see, is she currently involved in a sexual or romantic relationship? Maybe applicable, may not. She wanted maybe thinking about a future activity. And again, you want to assess how much is this problem distressing you? You know, okay. And again, this gets back to, you know, I, I don't really, you know, get aroused, but I don't care. Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, you know, it really bothers me. Then it's a real problem for them. And again, difficulties with any of these issues can cause distress to the patient. Any of these areas can be distressing. Okay. Physical examination, is that important? Yeah, I think most of us would agree that it is. And but basically in this sort of domain, we want to do a focused history and we want to examine the patient looking for contributing factors. Because again, yes, you know, many of many of our viewers here are oncologists and certainly there are neoplastic issues going on, but there may also be infectious issues or inflammatory issues, neurological issues, traumatic, iatrogenic, and we'll talk a little bit more of that on the next talk. Oh, hormonal issues, all of these may be at play in your patient's sexual issues. And we also try to help evaluate the source. Uh, we want to look at vulvar conditions. And again, not everything we're going to be dealing with is related to her oncology issues. Um, and maybe she has uh, GSM, genitourinary syndrome menopause. Many of our folks will, or we may be bringing it upon them. Um, and again, if you don't see anything, you don't find anything, um, you, may need, you may need to go to a specialist, you may have to find the gynecologist who does these sort of issues per se without the oncology background or a dermatologist. So we try to triage to appropriate people if we need further intervention laboratory testing. And we spent a lot of time in the group discussing this. And there are a lot of laboratory tests that we usually need to do. Uh, one thing that some folks do think is helpful is vaginal pH. So of course, if you see a, a very uh, basic or a high, high acidic, uh, a low acidic pH, um, that that may be part of the problems leading to infections or discomfort. And of course, uh, for systemic issues, um, almost always useful to get a thyroid function. And prolactin levels can be helpful too. Now you're getting back to your GYN endocrine days. Um, one of the things, by the way, I always like to share as a pearl, even though we shouldn't be talking about guys too much necessarily, um, that uh, if you have a young, say young, uh, old, older adolescent male, young 20s male or something like that, and you happen to be asked a question about this person who has a total decrease in libido, get a level, get a prolactin level in the guy. They don't get galactorrhea, but if they tell you they've got no libido, check a prolactin. So that's a pearl for you. Anyway. Okay. So let's talk about some of the more advanced skill levels. Let's say, yeah, you really want to, you know, get 
get involved in taking care of the further sexual issues for your patient. Some of the questions that you may want to ask, um, that desire is the frequency of interest in any type of sexual activity and how does it affect the relationship? And again, some of the issues are, is, do you have spontaneous desire? Are you thinking about sex all the time? Or is it responsive desire when, you know, in a situation that's appropriate, there's responsive desire. Uh, and again, this gets into some of the more uh, recent discussions on the female sexual response, Rosemary Bassan's circular model of responsive desire. Uh, with arousal, are you having difficulties with lubrication or are you having deep decreased sensation, which is actually a little bit of a different issue. And indeed, there's a fair amount of literature suggesting that estrogen uh, and decreasing estrogen can lead to decreased sensation in the general area. So again, that's some area where estrogen therapy may be helpful as far as increasing the sensitivity um, in the uh, genital area for your patient. Um, women oftentimes will complain of problems with orgasm. Um, and they will talk about, you have to ask questions, frequency, Ease, does it take you a long time to achieve, or achieve orgasm? And that can be a very common problem that we see. Methods of achieving orgasm and their intensity and satisfaction with orgasm. All these can be problems. Then you, if you ask these questions often enough, you will hear about it, trust me. Um, and in our program, you know, our sexuality, intimacy, and menopause program, we hear about problems uh, with orgasms all the time. And then pain, is it constant? Is this, does the woman, you know, walking down the street or sitting down have constant pain, unprovoked pain? Or is it provoked pain that she's totally fine when she's sitting in a chair? But if there's genital contact, penetrative activities, is that what elicits the pain? So trying to define where the where the problems are can be helpful. And you may at some point say, no, I, I don't know how to deal with this. And then you can refer. But if you say, okay, let's go further and let's work on helping you, you certainly can. But getting the exact areas and, and difficulties of their experience and how distressing these are can be very helpful. Okay. Obviously, you're going to assess the patient for comorbid behavioral health and psychiatric problems. This is an important part of every evaluation. And if she does have these issues, most of the time, you're going to probably refer this patient because, you know, as a busy GYN oncologist, you're probably not going to have time to appropriately take care of issues of sexual abuse, body image concerns, psychiatric conditions, trauma, and, and conflict in relationships. Um, and of course, if somebody is dealing with ongoing depression or anxiety or substance abuse disorders, again, these are issues that we may not have the training to take care of, and they're important to identify, and in your referral, you'll identify them, and also refer, uh, alert the, attend, the uh, uh, receiving physician or care provider, physician's associate, that these are issues your patient's dealing with. And again, major problems along these axes will, in general, prompt referral to a sexual or a mental health specialist, and obviously deal with somebody who's got some sexual training as well. Okay. And you will continue to co-manage the patient with your experts just by having the patient see somebody in referral. That doesn't mean you're abandoning your patient. You're going to be taking care of this patient and in some sense doing some co-management. So it's good to know what they're up to. And it's always good to have a strong referral network. And who's part of your referral network? People like psychologists, uh, general gynecologists, or reproductive endocrine folks sometimes, urogynecologists are very often very helpful in these situations, folks who deal with sexual health medicine, folks who are sex therapists, folks who take care of pelvic floor physical therapy. These may be in with your urogynecology people. 
And one way of finding people say, well, I, I want to learn about this. I want to learn more. Um, one easy way to do is if you go to asect.org, which is the American, Associate, American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and they will find you. These This is an organization where these folks who belong, uh, and they're specialists, they're experts, um, and they're people at all levels of basic counselors or more advanced uh, practitioners. And you can plug in your zip code, and they'll get you a list of people who've had the training. So, And it's good to get to know the folks in your area. Now, unfortunately, it's hard to find these people sometimes, but you should be able to find somebody in your area that can help you. So these are folks that are available and having a strong referral network is very, very helpful when you're working um, in dealing with these areas that we may not have the expertise, may not have the time to manage, but you can certainly be co-managing people. Okay. And one thing, of course, that we always want to encourage, as I alluded to in the beginning, we want to be working as a team. We want to help the patients, but we also want our patients to learn more about these issues as we work with her. Okay. And you folks in the SGO have a wonderful uh, uh, website available. If you go on the connectedsgo.org website and you see the link there, it's the Foundation for Women's Cancer Events Courses. And uh, the title of the course is Embracing Sex and Intimacy After Cancer. So this is information for her. Okay. We've gone through information for our practitioners to get started as far as, you know, dealing with sexual health issues. And you want the patient to be educated so that we can all work as a team. So. What I also encourage everybody to do is to next stop is, well, we're going to stop it, stop now on this discussion as far as diagnosis. And our next talk is going to deal with therapy because now you're all experts at diagnosis and figuring out whether you feel comfortable initiating therapy. And there are some things you probably will be able to do very easily. If you do choose to refer initially, you will know better how you started the path for the patient to get better. And you've validated her concerns just by validating her concerns. And she realizes you're interested and it's important. That's going to help her get better. So you're starting the therapy by empathic listening. And if you do feel comfortable initiating therapy in our next talk, we will start about further diagnostic evaluations and how we're going to institute some therapy. So I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody for their attention. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, you'll continue with our next talk and uh, want to start doing some therapy for your patients. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Bye-bye now. The information presented is that of the contributing faculty and presenters and does not necessarily represent the views of the Society of Gynecologic Oncology or any named company or organization providing financial support. Specific therapies discussed may not be approved and or specified for use as indicated by the faculty or presenters. If you like what you heard today, please let us know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and hitting the follow button wherever you're listening. If you have suggestions for future SGO on the go podcasts, please email us directly at education at sgo.org.